Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is your host, Lorraine Nightheart. You have reached Venus Unplugged. And what we do here at this Blog Talk Radio is we talk about all things Venusian, myth, dream, psyche, a love uh, that is healing and love that is teaching, beauty, art, you name it. Anything that has to do with Venus, I'm your girl to talk about. So what we have been looking at and exploring, sorry about the last two weeks, but I was under the weather, as I say. I had a full blossom cold and cough and all those purifications. So I gave in completely and just allowed myself to go into the underworld, coughing and sneezing. So Hades, Hades. The god Hades, the god of the underworld, Pluto by some. Uh, we're talking about the story, uh, the myth of Persephone. She's abducted into the underworld, and uh, but she goes in a maid, Kor, K-O-R-E, and she comes up queen of the underworld. So there is a, there's a journey and a mystery and there's teachings in the underworld, and we've been discussing those on um, the last couple of uh, episodes. Uh, but there's Hades. Hades is the god who abducted Persephone into the underworld. Now, Hades is so called the unseen one. And he, he and his three headed dog, that's who he has as a protector. And he's the god of the underworld. And he's the god of the dead, although he is not death. Hades is rather a passive god, except for that abduction. They piss him off, of course. You know, if you break his rules, and you know, he's very stern. But he's not death, right? And, uh, but it is the underworld, which is the place of the dead, and it's the place of riches. So there's great wealth in the underworld, as there is great wealth in the psyche, in the unconscious, in the things that we don't know. So he was the first son of the Titans, uh, Titans were Cronus and Rhea, and he had three sisters, Demona, Hestia, and Hera, and two brothers, Poseidon and Zeus. And then there was this divine war. There was this uh, Titan war, and eventually the sons and daughters won. So uh, they pulled straws, the three brothers, Zeus got heaven, Persephone, I mean, uh, Poseidon got the ocean, and Hades got the underworld, even though he was the firstborn. So the Greeks, it's not a lot about him, because the Greeks didn't really like talking about Hades. They got a little nervous, they were afraid of pronouncing his name. And so the Greeks started to refer to him as Pluto. All right, that was his that was his street name, and uh, and the root meaning of Pluto is wealthy, giver of wealth. Hades is the god who carries away all. He's kind of the Zeus of the underworld. And so the house of Hades uh, was filled with guests because they were dead. Um, but he was not an evil god. He was very stern, and he could be cruel, especially if we broke the rules, and uh, unpitying, but he was still very just. 
So he wasn't like this crazed out, just you know, and and he wasn't the uh, the god, the man about town like his brother Zeus, who was like stooping everybody. Uh, uh, you know, he just had his one love, his Persephone, who happened to be his niece. But okay, so he's not death. Thanos was the god and is the god of death. And there's there's some similarity of Hades and Dionysus. They're the unifying opposites, all right? So he's attributed to his, in art, it, to include the scepter and the cornucopia and the rooster, which I think is very interesting since this is the year of the rooster. And I'll go into it a little bit at the end, but also Hades can create strife among civilizations and families, and uh, we're seeing a lot of that stuff going on. So we've got this year of the rooster, and and that's one of the symbols of Hades. So we might want to look for where the rooster in Hades is acting out in our life, right? Because these gods are real. Uh, they're not uh, personal, per se, but they act on an archetypal level. They're patterns in the unconscious that alive and living well. And if we don't know about them, they run our lives. If we know a little bit about them, they still run our lives, but at least we know who's doing the running, right? So there are actually this connection of Hades and Dionysus as the unifying opposites. And Dionysus is the god of wine and the god of ecstasy. So there's hints here that something else is happening in the underworld, and uh, there are also, there's five realms in Hades. Those are the first, or, fi- or five, uh, there's also five rivers, okay? Uh, there's the river of sorrow or woe. There's the river of lamentation. There's the river of fire. There's the river of oblivion and the river of hate. So we don't want to fall into any one of these rivers. Now, rivers would be seen as, energies in life, patterns in life, things that flow along in our life, and we can just fall into them and and believe this is our truth, when in fact we are being uh, influenced. Uh, it may be a truth, but very often we can be influenced by an unconscious archetypal force. So what I want to talk about Hades is what would he represent in your everyday world. And we know Persephone represents the kind of uh, mediatrix. She represents the healing woman or the healing woman within man. She represents the part of us that can live in two worlds, above and below or side by side. Um, She's the part of us that has been uh, sometimes abducted, pulled away from what we know to be true. Now, sometimes that abduction is fabulous because we're abducted into a world, a mysterious world uh, that we have to kind of keep secret uh, because the collective finds it dangerous. It's an initi- It's a call to an initiation. Now, one of the most interesting things uh, is There's two versions of Persephone. Now, the earlier pre-Hellenic version is that Persephone is 
along playing in the fields as she does, right? But she hears the cry of souls who've lost their way in the underworld. And she's very empathetic and very upset, and she doesn't know what this is. So she questions her mother, Demeter. And Demeter kind of avoids the question she doesn't answer. And she, you know, she says, you know, just, just stay away from there. It's none of your business. Don't pay attention. It's nothing. Those voices and that anguish that you're hearing, nothing. It's absolutely nothing. So, but Persephone decides to not pay attention to her mother. And she goes into the underworld willingly because her compassion and her empathy is so deep for those that are suffering. Now, obviously, while she's in the underworld, she catches on to the fact that she can help those who are caught in the underworld. The underworld can be a depression or those who are caught in uh, a death wish. Of course, Persephone can also have to do with anorexia and uh, because Demeter is a mother, the one of uh, food, right? So when there's a wounded Persephone, we can have food issues, right? And so she goes into the underworld, and as she's moving through the underworld and helping the souls and helping them kind of, you know, have a passage through the underworld, her clothes get ripped and torn. And by the time she reaches the center underworld, where the great world tree is, the great world tree at the center of the underworld, she hangs herself upside down on the world tree and dies for three days and for three nights. Then a beloved king comes along and an old crone, and they restore her. And in this way, she can lead the souls of the dead uh, through to to the mysteries. So the earlier version is much closer to the free will, to the goddess. It gets changed a little bit, uh, quite a bit. There's a huge difference between being abducted by your uncle and hearing a call to help. So the older version, or perhaps, you know, we have both versions within our psyche. Sometimes we're forced or abducted into some unknown mystery. And other times we go, even though we don't, quite know what we're doing and we're willing to kind of hang upside down like the hangman in the tarot card for three days and three nights. Three is always 72. 72 is a nine. Nine is the number of completion. So she becomes this, in a sense, Christed figure, this, this divine feminine figure that dies and is reborn for the souls of others. So this also represents the creative act, the rising and the falling of creativity. So it represents, you know, the cycle of creativity. There's there's a quickening. It's like, oh, I got an idea, I got an idea. And then there's the birth, and we're struggling to get I'm saying writing or painting whatever we're dancing whatever we're doing to get that out and then there's this uh, rising in the energy to its kind of zenith right and then there's this decline and then there's the death and then we're incubating 
and then there's a quickening again. So these are the cycles of what creativity is. So in a sense, if we understand the cycles of creativity, there's really not blockages. There's what, what point in the cycle of creativity are we in? If we don't understand this, we just, there's just the rising and the falling. And we get caught that we're blocked instead of saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm in the decline. I just had this great insight and maybe it lasted 20 seconds or 20 days. I'm struggling to give birth. You know, I spent uh, months doing this and then this energy came to a head. This is why we need to be disciplined and consistent as we would with any anyone or anything that we love, even if we're fighting with it, we stay we stay in the fight. We don't abandon. And then there's this decline where it leaves us. And then we're kind of staggering around. And if we don't understand that these natural cycles are the way of the cycles of creativity, we think we're dead. Instead of, no, we're just in the underworld for a while, maybe hanging on that world tree upside down for three days. Uh, and then we're incubating, and then the quickening comes again. So that's part of what this this Hades energy is about. Now, Hades, if we are not aware of this archetype or this figure in our unconscious. Now, we could have had somebody in our childhood or in our life who is a hate figure, who's very stern and pedestrian and it's like, you know, you can't call that mountain orange. Yes, I can. You can't write that. People will think you're crazy. Well, that's the point. I hope they do. Or dangerous. Even better. Boo. Okay. Uh, so the creative play which very pragmatic and, and if you're real, you just don't play. They don't understand that play is exhausting and it really, there's so much going on with creative play. And it's like a trailblazer. And creativity is soul medicine. Creativity is a spiritual practice. It's not idle. You're working with invisible forces. You're inviting them in new forms, new possibilities, new interpretations, old interpretations turned upside down, given new outfits. Uh, I was just reading uh, about mathematics and knitting and just this fabulous article of how, uh, well, I can't go into that right now, but it was just amazing that you know everything that we're doing is, is part of the physics of life. So when Hades comes as the cold one, or sometimes I see it as, you know, having an envy attack on your own creativity, or it's cold, it won't let you connect to your creativity because it wants your attention. Now that can either come as a, a, you know, a Hades part of the feminine or, or vice versa. It's Steals, the complex steals the creativity. And then we're having a Hades moment or a Pluto moment. 
So Hades is an aspect of the psyche. It can be the critic, the devourer, the one who destroys the light. It's the darkening as- aspect, not the creative darkening, just the blank out darkening. Uh, but it can it can be a shadowing. It can it can say, you know, oh, I don't think that's. I think there's another word that you could use here. Or, you know, you're onto something, but got to give it a little more oomph or pull back. It's, it's, you know, too rococo or whatever it might be. It can be a very subtle, it can be a caring that really isn't ripping you apart, but just saying, you know, dial back, man. You're on to something. But if the voice is shaming, if the voice says you can do no right, it's if it's an attack uh, that it, it, it disheartens you, it's 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 a criminal. It's in a criminal manner. It destroys. That's the complex. Now, it may come in the voice of people who denigrate uh, the creative process. You know, that's not practical. How are you going to survive? Doing art? Well, yeah, I kind of thought so. Little do they understand that without beauty and without art... There's nothing really exists. We have to use some artistic skill for manifestation. It's always around somewhere, even if it gets obliviated. It's there, all right? So people who, who denigrate the creative process uh, and that the complex is composed of the memory of people in our lives who just just didn't get it and as a result uh, may have ridiculed or shamed or embarrassed or just felt like it was just worthless. Why can you do that when you can uh, be something practical? So I never quite understand why a lot of people think practical is great. What's the matter with art being practical? It's very practical. It's in everything. So that's the way the complex can get constellated. It's from from traumas and experiences that we've had throughout our lives. But we can also, you know, where Uranus is stationed in your chart is also where you come with past life trauma, post-traumatic stress from other lives. Who knew? I thought it was just this life, but here we have it until we figure it out. Uh, So we... It's composed of memories in the outer world and then comes as the voice of this archetype. So we need to listen for that and we need to be able to discern. Is it Hades, the giver of wealth, that says, hey, I got an idea. You want, I, got, I got some diamonds. I mean, that would make something marvelous. Why don't you make an outfit out of diamonds? Then there's some gold. Why don't you build a sculpture on that or, or uh, you know, whatever you want. I've got it all here. Oh, and the mud here is marvelous. Oh, and the healing from the roots of the world tree and the taste of the sweet waters from those rivers. The other ones, not the ones of sorrow, but even sorrow can have a bitterness or a sweetness. There's always the opposites. So when Hades 
is a natural predator of the psyche. We need to be careful. We need to discern. And we need to understand what that is and realize, no, I will fight that. I will overcome that just on spite. I don't care if I faint. I don't care if all my paints melt. I don't care if I can't remember how to write words. I'm going to do that. Because there is always, always, always in every single one of us, there is an eternal ember at the world, at the whole, at the center of our psyche. Now, Hecate is the Bedial woman, and she's the sacred woman. She's also involved in this myth, right? And she's always there protecting that ember. So even if we've long forgotten any creative or given ourselves any right to be creative, we can just blow on that. We can ask Persephone to help us or the positive side of Hades to help us. Because it's also, that ember is the creative fire at the center of psyche. And we're all in psyche. Psyche isn't us, but we are in heart, right? So when, we, when we're struggling with creativity, that's the Hades, and we stop ourselves. So Hades can play that natural predator in the psyche and struggle to no longer destroy ourselves. You know, we're, we're continuing day in and day out. But we need to remember the bounty within and the cycles of creativity and the descent and the return and the build and the decline and the recedes and then the beginning again. When there is a refusal to commit... That's the archetype of Hades. You, you don't want to commit. Telling you, oh, you don't have to do that. You can just run free. You run wild. You're free. What's freedom without some discipline and creation? Or times when we feel very flat or painful. That means the soul is very near not when we're all happy, happy, happy. It's it's that sorrow, that flatness, that plain, that boredom, which is always dangerous for the soul, but it's near. Stay with it. And dreams will give us pictures of what has happened to our inner Persephone. And you can ask, or you can do active imagination and have a conversation with Hayes or Persephone or whatever archetype you please, or Donald Duck or birds or Whatever we want. Uh, Dr. Clarissa Colas Estes, the woman who wrote "Women Who Wrote with Wool," she had spoke about this, which I won't give you this, the whole poem because it's a twenty-page poem, but it's how to silence a person. And she says, uh, "Say we are saying the same thing," or "Don't brook authority," or "You're overreaching." Or, I really can't listen when you are so angry. Or, no one will want you. No one will want it. Do you think, who do you think you are? Or, 
I'll help you, but then don't. Or I'll include you, but then don't. And she goes on for 20 pages as what, what will silence a person. At first she wrote it to women, but then she, of course, realized it's men too. And all those things that silence us. And we're so used to it, we don't say, whoa, chill. Well, those days are over, so there's a, just a huge transvisual force that's coming in upon all of us. So the creative function, because you are not behind it, you must be behind it. You must know that, you know, AIDS can, as you kidnap Persephone in one version, uh, so it can be the killing force in psyche. And Persephone is that innocent. It's that in, and that innocence bleeds when the negative hates gets loose or is possessive and only wants our Persephone for himself. And yet he gives her one-third of the underworld. And he's never unfaithful. And so there's great mysteries that go on with Persephone and the way of the underworld. And at the center of the psyche, that that force, that hidden ember, sometimes it's called El Duande, and El Duande is that the fire, be an itsy bitsy little fire, but it's your fire. You can blow on that or create or dance or talk to it or give it energy, give it libido so that you can grow and you can remember that. So when when hate is is being rather cruel I'm telling you, you can't do something. You just says, I'm very sorry. Step out of the way. I can do this, all right? So his wealth and his riches, because he also has these wealth and, and these uh, riches, and these are the treasures to be found deep within the earth itself. Or there be money to be made from the raw materials, mined from the earth. Um, now, as I said, he's got his laws. And we don't know a lot about those laws because the ancient Greeks didn't really want to talk about him much because they were afraid if they spoke his name, he would show up. So we don't know a lot. But we ourselves can go in or we can have active imagination and find out who he is within us. And what is he about? As I said, he is not death. He's the god of the underworld. So it also has to do with the shadow or uh, the basic instincts that lie dormant in civilization and society. Now, until such times, they are encouraged to surface by a group or collective. Now, remember, the rooster. One of his images is the rooster. Right? We are in the year of the rooster. So this can be seen in revolutionary groups or mob situations when the process of mass dehumanization gives birth to the group entity and the submerging of the individual. Family, friends, and people whom you may have known and loved and respect for years suddenly become the enemy. 
because they appear to be on the opposite side. So politics and religions have noted uh, dehumanization, right? And we need to be careful of that. We don't go with hates with that one. And we need to understand. So it's worth bearing in mind that just as we each have our own personal shadow, group and collective also acquire a shadow identity that assumes the color and emphasis predominant in the shadows of its members or the collective shadow or the group shadow. So we need to be aware when AIDS is active, which aspect protect our little Persephone. Uh, Also know that she has the power to hang on the world tree upside down and get its mysteries and be able to understand what those mysteries are and help. It also can be helping, you know, the dead thoughts that are within us or the dead experience that we've kind of just like chopped off from. And and we've got to go into the underworld and, and kind of tell the story or let them live in a different way. This is one of the most exciting, interesting times to be on this planet. Where the awakening, a huge awakening, and the whole Adam and Eve story, you know, when you really read it from the perspective of, of the divine feminine, you see it's so absurd. It's such a branding. It's so one-sided. And we're living this Adam and Eve branding. And it's all women's fault and all of this. When in fact, you know, women are waking up. In a whole other way. And the feminine within men and the men are supporting it. It's really kind of a marvelous time to be here. So hates, depending uh, on how you want to see it. Yes, he can be stern, but he'll also step out of the way because he is the god of wealth and will give up his wealth. But you have to know the laws. No whining and crying to say, excuse me, you happen to have my fire, and I'm taking it back. So take your fire back, live out loud, um, because everybody else will be doing it. So, but live in the depth of your being and have that root, you know, that world tree that's in the root and being fed by the mysteries of the underworlds here on earth and its branches, a wonderful place for the birds and the wind and ideas, and so see yourself as a strong world tree. The deeper the roots, nobody's going to be blowing you away. All right, till next week. Au revoir. Bye-bye.